Welcome to episode 5 of Flop Stars. For those of you who are just jumping on board now, Flop Stars is a podcast looking at our favourite pop stars in our hearts who can't quite compete on the charts. I'm joined every week by our resident pop expert, Nick Kelly, to look at a criminally underrated project that has won cult adoration. This week, we're turning our attention to Britney Spears' 2007 record, Blackout. The album was a pulsating club and urban-inspired record that pushed boundaries, It was also surrounded by a very public meltdown that captured more headlines than the album itself. 13 years later, however, fans and artists alike agree that its influence can be felt still in pop today. Nick, it's Britney Week. Are you excited? I'm excited about this podcast in particular, Sam, because I think so far we've focused mainly on records from the 2010s. You know, we've done Carly, we've done Charlie, we've done Tove and... Gaga, who I know started in the noughties, but we focused um, very much on art pop from the, mid no- from the mid-tens. But this, we're going all the way back to 2007, which was one of my formative pop years, one of my first years being a pop music fan. It was when I discovered artists like Mika and Britney was really up there for me as well. But Mika was my number one. Yeah, I'm re- when I was thinking about this podcast before we even started it, Britney's Blackout was one that really stood out to me um, because it's quite unusual in the way that its influence has come about because at the time it was kind of clouded in what was going on in her personal life and remember she was like the biggest pop star in the world but the media was eating her alive in a way we really hadn't seen before and it was kind of the birth of like internet journalism and Perez Hilton and all that kind of stuff and it really just all came came to the to the forefront there. And so 10 years later or 13 years later where we are now, you look at it and you're actually allowed to appreciate it for what it was instead of seeing it as what it was clouded by. It's a nice place to be in. And you're right. This was a, that year, 2007 for Britney was so tumultuous. So much went on in the space of 12 months. Um, Just like, even if you look at Wikipedia and see what happened from the start to the end of 2007. The Wikipedia page is insane. You could write a biography just off that. It's ridiculous. February, so January loses her aunt. February goes to rehab for less than a day. The day after she shaves her head, which we all remember seeing. Um, May, she produced a series of promotional concerts called the M&M's Tour. October (laughs) loses custody of her children. The same month puts this album out. And then by December, she's in a new relationship. So this was a bloody big year. And you're right. I feel like no one was able to... Everything to do with her music was absolutely shrouded in what was going on in her personal life that year. And strangely, I've been thinking a lot about how do you produce an album that is groundbreaking in a time where you're not even in the right headspace to go into the studio or to look after yourself? How do you come out with an album that sounds like this? And I think it comes down to two things. I think it comes down to the producers that she had on board for Blackout were amazing. And the second thing is, is there was this strange freedom attached to her career where I think her label would have been happy to put out anything at that stage with Britney's name on it because she was at the top of every headline and 
that kind of stuff sells regardless of what's going on. It sells. And it's why she probably did put an album out. And what happened because of that is that they kind of got to experiment and do whatever the hell they want. And they ended up with this weird, wild kind of um, hip hop inspired pop album that was maybe, I don't want to say basic, but it felt like she hadn't put in the work for it when it came out. And years later, you look at it and you're like, this was actually a, a really groundbreaking record. And I read something that she told The Fader when the album turned 10. Um, and you think everything that was going on at the time, and this is how she remembers it. She said, Blackout was the first time I worked with Danger. He gave me the opportunity and freedom to work with more urban sounds and influences. It really inspired me. I also got the chance to sing and stretch my voice in ways I hadn't done before. What a way to kind of wrap up an album from the most tumultuous period of your life. <laughs> Exactly. And there was probably, you're right, there was probably a freedom in her going into the studio whilst all this was happening and jumping on a microphone and working with people that care about music. Britney's been doing this and at the time had been doing this for over a decade. She's a music fan. She's a music nerd. She loves the music she makes. She doesn't write at all, but she loves the music that she creates. And I think this was obviously an opportunity for her to go and get away from what was going on in her life, record music that she was proud of, record music that she was excited about. And the legacy is proof in the pudding of what, what that meant to her. And, you know, this is what keeps coming up when I keep thinking about this, how can you be so um, detached from a project and still so involved in the same, at the same time? And every producer who's worked with her says that she's just open to anything but she needs it to be exciting like she's not going to take anything that has been done before kind of thing and it's the reason that every single Britney album when you look back now was ahead of its time in terms of what was happening happening commercially even after Blackout happened you had Femme Fatale which worked with dubstep sounds in pop for the first time and also on that album, she was exploring PC music sounds as well with How I Roll. Like, it's just wild that she's kind of, I, I don't feel like she gets her credit enough. And particularly with this record, she didn't. But now people are starting to give her props for it. Absolutely. And this was in the time, you know, the, the late noughties were a time where pop music was written by the writers for the pop star. Um, you know, even, even a lot of the early Rihanna and Katy Perry stuff was written by writing crews and taken to the pop star to sing. And that's how the music and the song business kind of worked then. It still does somewhat work like that. Even the new Rita Ora song, she didn't write a word of. But most pop stars these days... Rita is the OG pop star. She's repping for our 2000s pop stars. Absolutely. (laughs) She's she's literally, she's using Britney's legacy to have a reason to not write her own music. And... (laughs) You know, I, I kind of, I kind of miss those days. I miss these days of brilliant music being written um, by groups, and they go, "Oh fuck, who do we get this to? Like, who, who does this go to?" It feels very traditional pop, and she was at this time the ultimate pop star. She had drama, she had controversy, she had, and yes, it was sad stuff going on in her life. But if you look at it from a commercial perspective, the label would have been laughing because she was the top story for that entire year. She was the top celebrity of that entire year. Yeah, see, it's it's interesting when you bring up kind of being a pop star because the 2000s model is so different to what it is now where you've kind of, you've almost got to write your songs or at least have a credit on the song to kind of be passed as credible right now. 
Um, but in the 2000s, being a pop star was not really the same as being a musician or being in a band or something like that. It was an art form to itself. And it was all about like the dance and the theatrics and the whole character that you built around that. And Britney is the model that that was built off. She created it. And it meant that she had total control when it came to what she wanted to sound like and what she wanted to look like and how she wanted to dance. But that didn't mean that it was written by Britney on every single song. Yeah, that's actually really interesting that you talk about the comparison between the noughties pop star and the now pop star because it's almost like current pop stardom is the antithesis of what it was in the noughties. But then also you've got this, you've got this almost resurgence of these anti anti pop stars like the people that are trying to be pristine and and perfect yeah. almost ironically so it's really weird this cycle that's going on but britney really was the archetype pop star in the noughties um and i think when it got to 2007 it was it, it's almost like and it's really sad but i feel like people were rooting for her to get off the rails um, Absolutely. P- passive pop music listeners wanted the drama. They wanted her to lose it, um, quote unquote. And that's a really, really sad when you think about it, because if you think about all the pop stars right now, no one's rooting for them to lose it. I think we're a lot more caring and a lot more, you know, the pop stars now are a lot more human. But right, you're right, back in 2007, it was, it was celebrities that also could do pop music and that was their product that they, that they created. Um, exactly. Rather than artistry being a, a thing we cared about. And everything you think about in terms of sound, people starting to care about people's mental health, becoming more open as an artist, opening your life to people. Britney was walking through all those doors before anyone does. And I don't care what you want to say about people not writing songs or Britney not being able to sing or whatever, but you don't get to that position by accident. And she was pushing her career forward from the very beginning and she was good at what she was doing. Um, this album's a particularly interesting one to, to dissect because it might have been the one time in her career when she didn't really have control of a lot of things and the music was the only thing that she had some kind of control in, which I think lands us in this really interesting place. And I want to read you a quote from danger who worked on a lot of the production in the record about what his experiences was like with it and he does um concede that there were some things going on in Britney's personal life that made it difficult but he said there was not a lot of pre-planned thoughts while going into the studio we were just going with the flow we were able to create without any distractions or anyone giving us any real direction that's why I think the the part of blackout that I was a part of ended up being what it is we were free which is such an interesting concept for a pop star like Britney, who's so often, there's so often so many things going around on social media about her not being free, whether it's the connection, like the court connection she has with her parents currently or her relationship with her record label. It's a strange oasis in the middle of this kind of personal fire that they found. It's almost like what a lot of artists kind of go through. They, they will be going through some severe mental strain in their personal lives and use the studio as, you're right, an oasis um, and escape from all that in a way to just sort of let go of what's actually going on or even be cathartic and channel it into the music. And yeah. I think it's, it's interesting when you look at the fact she only wrote two tracks on Blackout, even just sort of executive producing and being the decision maker 
on the record. That was her way of grasping control of something in her life whilst everything else was spiralling out of control, I think. Yeah. And, I mean, I think we should talk about why we're covering this album um, in general because (laughs) if you look at Britney's career, you'd hardly call her a flop, but this album was the first album not to hit number one in the US and it only produced one top ten single for her, which was the lead single, Gimme More, which obviously came with a huge media circus um, and somebody at her label thought it would be a good idea to get Britney on the VMA stage to debut Gimme More and <laughs> let's and just the rest say is I history. think I could <laughs> teach my dog to do that dance routine <laughs> with more precision. <laughs> That's it. And it was, and, and, and you know what, when we talk about this being, you know, the only album of hers not to, not to hit number one, um, or the first album at least to not hit number one, and, and there only being one top 10 single, that's wild to me because this is a very fucking good album. And yeah. from the, and you're, and we've been talking about the celebrity of, of her, but do you potentially think the celebrity that was Britney Spears overshadowed the pop musician that was Britney Spears and the product she was making. Do you think there was potentially overexposure of her as a celebrity that Absolutely. made everything else get shrouded? Well, even with, you think the next, the second single was Peace of Me, which was literally a lyrically direct representation of what was going on in her life right there. And yeah. it made so many headlines, but the other thing about the mid 2000s was that people actually had to go out and spend money on the music. So even if you're clicking on all these headlines about Britney, you're not sending her to the top of the charts by doing that. Whereas now I think it's very different. I think she probably would be able to, because out of intrigue, people would go and stream the songs, but it was a very different time back then. And yeah, you're right. Maybe people enjoyed that, that tear down of Britney rather than building her up with her music. So I think we should move on to a game and I've got to warn you with my games this week. I'm going (laughs) a little bit nuts. (laughs) Okay. Don't worry. My games are, my game is terrible, but I think you'll appreciate the absurdity of it. And it's a fun one for the whole family to play along with at home in self-isolation. So let's get, let's get into this game. What's your game? Okay, great. So basically we've promised people a polish podcast i've been fumbling my lines and now we've said we have three terrible games to offer so (laughs) strap yourselves in (laughs) so the first one is a game that i am calling britney spears versus tears so i'm giving you a song from blackout and i'm putting it up against another song that has the word tear in it (laughs) i like it. Well, like it's, it. it's a good little rhyming game. They're kind of not connected whatsoever, but um, let's just go and see see where we get to. So the first okay, one is the first, one. the first single off Blackout. Give me more. It's Britney, bitch. Verse the first single off Ariana Grande's Sweet Nun, No Tears Left to Cry. What was my famous quote about No Tears Left to Cry when I first heard it? You you hadn't first heard it, you heard about 15 seconds of it and you turned to me and you said, it's okay. <laughs> and then you saw it at Coachella after about 57 beers and changed your mind. It was song of the year. <laughs> it at um, all right, let's unpack this. So give me more big, I mean... Opening an album with It's Britney, bitch, 
as the Amazing. very first words you hear through like a phone EQ filter is just instantly iconic. The song itself is brilliant as well. Um, I reckon it's kind of like the archetype song on, on Blackout. But yeah. And yes, No Tears is great. No Tears is fantastic. And, and you know, I, I changed my tune on No Tears. But Gimme More is iconic. Whereas I think Ariana's probably got more iconic songs up her belt than No Tears Left to Cry. So Gimme, Gimme More. Okay. I agree with everything you've said, basically. Um, I think it's interesting. Like, this was completely unintentional because... The game has no rhyme or reason to it, but I think both songs, in a way, um, felt really like outcasts in the pop world when they were released. Um, and I still think No Tears Left to Cry, the production in that is just so crazy and almost like it was scientifically made to make you feel some kind of like goosebump, like heaven-like way. So I have to go with No Tears Left to Cry. I, I think it is Ariana Grande's best song, but Gimme More is so good as well. So they're both great. Yeah, it's a, it's a, what do you call it? Not best of a bad bunch, best of a good bunch or something like that. Yeah. <coughs> <laughs> so, something like that. All right, let's do Britney Spears versus Tears number two. Yeah. I had to think about that for a long time. Sorry, I'm slow today. Well, no, um, I was trying to work out. I was trying to work out. There's definitely a phrase for like, for like when you've got two really good ones. It's a, it's a good problem to have. That's, that's, that's it. It's a good problem. Yeah. To... <laughs> it's a good problem to have. <laughs> Fuck me. Well, this is a good problem to have too. It's the second single piece of me. I'm versus Tears Dry on Their Own by Amy Winehouse. And this was another mistake, but now I think about it, they were both going through very similar experiences at the same time in terms of media scrutiny. Yeah. Um, well, Couldn't be more different songs. Yeah, and I think, piece of, I think Piece of Me for how much it spoke in such a fun way to what was going on in Britney's life at the time, um, and also because it just generally slaps, I'm going to go with Piece of Me. Yeah. I still find Piece of Me difficult to get my head around. There's something about her voice in it that sounds like she never actually sang the song and they just took bit like grabs from interviews and stitched it all together. <laughs> 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 and, I and I read this um, quote from Kerry Hilson who worked on the record where she said that sometimes she would come in and she would have recorded backing vocals for the demo and Britney was like, just leave them, they sound like me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's iconic. So maybe That's brilliant. That's great self-awareness. I yeah. mean, completely my fault. These songs should never be paired against each other. Um, personally, <laughs> I prefer Tears Dry on their own, but they should never okay. be made to compete. Yeah, I agree with you. And you, you look at you pitting women against each other, <laughs> especially, especially whilst one of them's not here to defend her own legacy. Absolutely <laughs> ridiculous from you. <laughs> well, I'm going to correct my mistake, and now I'm going to put her up against a man, if you're happy. Four okay. men, actually. Yeah, maybe five, maybe six. I don't know. Okay. Maybe seven, actually. Um, it's Break the Ice versus Every Teardrop is a Waterfall by Coldplay. Oh my God. Now you've got two very different songs. Um, you were potentially going to hang up our FaceTime chat with my answer here. Yeah, I'm already hovering over the hang up button. But 
Break the Ice is not my favorite song on Blackout. Really? It's probably it's probably because the way I see Blackout, the top half of the album is like Bop Central, and then it just goes into it. It loses momentum a little bit in the second half, and I mm-hmm. think Break the Ice should be in the second half. Every Teardrop is a Waterfall by Coldplay is a very good song. And it's probably my favourite, one of my favourite Coldplay songs, alongside Princess of China, um, featuring Rihanna. Um, I do love Princess of China. Great song. And even like Coldplay, Coldplay, everyone needs to stop being mean to Coldplay. (laughs) Is this really the hill you're going to die on in the middle of a pandemic? You've decided to defend Coldplay. (laughs) Yes. I love every teardrop is a waterfall. It's got that stupid, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a joyous <laughs> song. I don't like Break the Ice that much. My, I want to go with Break the Ice just because it's Britney, but I don't, I don't know. This is a really difficult one. Can I have a draw? Can I do a tiebreaker on this one? Yeah, you can have a tie because I've fumbled the game, so you can fumble your answer. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going a tie on this because I love every teardrop. I don't like Break the Ice that much, but I love Britney, but I don't adore Coldplay. I saw them live once. I got a wristband that didn't work. It's one of the light up ones. 15,000 butterfly confettis in your hair. <laughs> yeah. How'd you know? Uh, what are you I'm going to go with Break the Ice on this. I think Break the Ice is like um, one of the central moments in blackout and when i read on reddit threads and stuff of people arguing about the best song on it break the ice often comes to the top floats to the top if you will um so i'm gonna go break the ice because i don't want to upset reddit because i'm not on it and i don't understand it and i just (laughs) don't feel like i'm emotionally prepared to be attacked that's fair um that's that's very fair you can post me Claiming that Coldplay's better than Britney on there and see how they go. Okay, I'm, a Col- I'm someone be the that Coldplay's better podcast. than Britney. AMA. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, last Britney Spears versus Tears. Who are we putting up against each other? Um, last one is Radar, which somehow made its way onto both Blackout and Circus. This is Tears by Clean Bandit featuring Louisa Johnson, who has just <laughs> had a stunning career. <laughs> The, the um, Chanteuse behind uh, Best Behaviour and also, also um, what was the one with two chains? Um, um, it's like, it called like On or No or something. Was it No? Yeah, maybe it's No. Yeah. Anyway, we'll do um, her next week. <laughs> <laughs> it was called Yes. It was called Yes. It was the opposite of No. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Not the, not the point. Radar from Britney's Blackout. And it, so it was on Circus as well. Yeah. So it actually made it on Jesus. as a bonus track on Circus. I'm not sure wow. how that works. Neither. But I'm here for Maybe it. we should do a whole episode on songs that should have been added as a bonus track to the following album as well. <laughs> it's excellent. Um, I'm going to go Radar here. I love Radar. Um, Tears was not one of... Clean Bandit's more consequential songs. If you'd, to- if you'd put Symphony featuring Zara Larson up against Radar or even Rather Be with Jess Glynn, I probably would have gone that. But Radar's lots of fun. Uh, on Marita. On yeah, Marita. Well that, I wouldn't have been able to do that because Tears is the only song by Clean Bandit with the word <laughs> Tears in it. 
Oh, that's a really good point. Didn't really think about that. <laughs> I'm going to go radar <laughs> as well. Okay. There's no question. Yeah. Radar was fun. Tears radar sounds like fun. what ABBA would come back with right now. Aren't they meant to be coming back this year? They should come back with me- this. I think end of 2018, they were due a new single. So that went well. Okay, great. Get on with it, Benny. So it's them and Frank Ocean we're waiting on. <laughs> Get on with it, kids. Um, that was a fun game. That was a good game. I liked your thinking there. Okay. Don't, don't beat yourself up. Well, now I've got game over written on the page, so we move on. <laughs> I digress. Um, how do you think Blackout compared to what else was going on in pop in 2007? Great question. Um, it was a very hip-hop or... Would you call it hip-hop? It was hip-hop-tinged pop music was really successful then. Um, if you look at the Hot 100, the year began with Beyonce at number one for seven weeks with Irreplaceable. It was the year that Nelly Furtado, Fergie, um, yeah. JT's more R&B-flavoured stuff was coming out. Um, yeah. And then towards the end of the year, it slipped back into pop. You had Maroon 5, Avril, The Plain White Tees. So... It was, it was a very hip-hop starting year. And so Blackout, with its kind of urban sounds that Danger and Britney were experimenting with, made sense in the context of 2007's pop music. And I think when we look at like the really iconic Naughties hits, 2007 is a really formative year for stuff yeah. that you see at like Naughties parties and stuff. Um, so I think it sounded, it sounded like a lot of what was on the charts in 2007, but with a little bit more edge and a little bit more fun to it like I couldn't see Nelly Furtado doing these songs yeah absolutely and I think it did have a hip-hop edge but it was kind of rooted in club music as well in terms of it had that really kind of heavy bass line and everything and every song was kind of pulsating and gritty and dirty and if I remember right about 2007 it was a big moment for the acoustic guitar I know Stargate were doing every kind of R&B song with Neo and Irreplaceable by Beyonce and Tattoo by Jordan Sparks I think maybe in the same kind of era that was kind of the vibe and then Avril and Plain White Tees continued that on in another direction as well so I think in that way like pop was almost getting a little bit bland in a way um and Britney's album was so explicit and so in your face that it was almost quite a shock when you heard it the first time. I think looking at looking at it with, with that lens, you're right. I think probably a lot of pop producers saw the first half of the year, with the exception of Irreplaceable, but saw it as that, that heavier club R&B and that club-based hip-hop. And they went, well, let's make the antithesis of that. Let's go against the grain and make stuff that's more raw and acoustic sounding, a.k.a. Yeah. bland, um, and see, see how we go. And, it, and it, I think it worked. I think everyone had had their dose of Nelly Furtado and, and Timberland production. And they're like, all right, let's go with the opposite of that for a little while. So we talk about this kind of return to pure pop that's happened over the last few years. Um, and we've talked about it in previous episodes with Charlie XCX. And it's also people like Kim Petrus and, I mean, like Robin pokes her head when, in when she wants to. Um, and all of them seem to say that they're influenced by Blackout, by Britney. And I just wonder why has it taken this long for people to start making music that sounds like Blackout? Time heals wounds. And as we talked about earlier in the podcast, I think... What time's done with this record is Britney still remain in the forefront of people's minds, but the drama of that era has sort of subsided a little bit. 
So then we've got this new fresh appreciation for the music. Coupled that with the fact that people started caring about pop music about four years ago um, <laughs> and actually considering it a decent art form um, and the whole, you know, the, the argument of poptimism that happened a few years ago. And I think artists who were making probably more alternative pop music or more garage-based pop music like Charlie XCX then went, oh, hang on, like, why, why can't I make these formative records that I grew up on? Why can't I make records that sound like that? And so they just did it. Um, yeah. and now, and now Kim's doing it. And, um, even looking at Doja Cat, um, like a lot of her music is rooted in that pure kind of late naughty sound. Um, and it's exciting. And I think they go to a record like Blackout instead of going to something by like Christine Aguilera or Jessica Simpson or any of those other kind of pop girls that existed around that era. Um, mm. Because Blackout is so grungy and it's so dirty and for somebody like Charlie XCX who really likes to push pop production to its kind of like audible limit, that's that kind of zone of Blackout really suits her. And same, I guess, with Kim Petras as well. She does the same thing. So I wonder if that's why Blackout's kind of been picked out from the crowd of that era. Yeah, I, I think you're on the money there because I'm trying to think of other albums around that year that sort of had the same, that have people going back to them in 2020. And I don't think that there are really any at that point yet. Um, yeah. Even if you're thinking about like early, early Rihanna, um, like Good Girl Gone Bad, no one really goes back to that yet. Um, no, no one. Katie, no one really gives a fuck about that album at the moment. It seems to be Blackout <laughs> and it seems to be Britney that we go back to. I am going to produce a pop star that makes music exactly like I Kissed a Girl. <laughs> that hey, is I'm my goal that. this year. That is my, that is my isolation goal. <laughs> That's your upskilling that you're going to do, is create a robotic pop star that makes music that just sounds like that. <laughs> The unproblematic Dr. Luke. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> okay. So, obviously, she gets off this whole blackout thing. She's still not in a great place, Brittany. The whole promo trail of it was just kind of a mess, basically. And she did end up winning VMAs for the Piece of Me video. But apart from that, she didn't really walk away with the acclaim that she deserved for it. And also her personal life was kind of in a shambles. So she goes away and she comes back a few years later with Circus, which feel, felt like we'd truly returned to the Britney we knew, like that polished pop star who could dance and who could promote a record like nothing else. So do you think that things got better for Britney after Blackout in terms of the quality of the music? Okay, yeah, if we're looking at term, the, the quality of the music, um, I would say the quality of the music, like if I look at those two records in comparison to each other, the quality was pretty much quite similar. Yeah. Um, I think there's an equal amount of single-sounding singles on Circus as there are um, on Blackout. I think there's the equal amount, if not a little bit more, um, sex appeal on Circus as well. I mean, If You Seek Amy was just so controversial um, yeah. when I was in year eight for, you know, one of the biggest pop stars in the world to say, fuck me in the title of a song. Um, <laughs> we had to put the little explicit button on this week's episode, I think. Um, yeah, I, I, I really don't know if, if there was a... I mean, she started, like, she was working with, like, Max and 
shellback and stuff on yeah. circus. So I'm tempted to say it was better just because I like their work a lot more. But um, no, I, I think these two albums, in my mind, sonically and in terms of the amount of great songs on each of them, I think they stand up with each other. See, I think Blackout's way more exciting, but I think Circus is the work of a pop star who's kind of back on their game in terms of if you compare Womanizer to Give Me More, Womanizer sounds like the work of somebody who's got her eye on the charts, who's ready to go out and do a full tour, whereas Give Me More is somebody who's like, fuck it, I'm going to do what I want. And there's something sadistically exciting about that, which is weird. It's a very... It's a very weird thing to have to consider. Give me more in the whole album, given the context surrounding it. But it's there's also something exciting about what was happening. And let's be really clear here. Circus was... It was like the peak was Circus and Blackout. And then yeah. it, it really went down from no, there. No, I when... completely disagree. I think that one of her best is Femme Fatale. Because it's got like it's got like hold it against me. It's got till the world ends. It's got I want to go. It's got those dubstep tracks, really. Yeah, but like she was still on her game, and she was like nailing number one records at that time when she really shouldn't have been. Like if you look at the trajectory of any pop star, they are traditionally not meant to last that long. There were great songs on it, but I don't know if the impact, the lasting cultural impact of Femme Fatale is ever going to be felt as much as the Blackout Impact. I think Femme Fatale... Femme Fatale would have been, what, eight, nine years ago? Would have been 2011 or 12? Uh, yeah, maybe 2013. That... Oh, I've got it Dubby here. Look at me, I'm prepared. It was oh! 2011. 2011, wow. All right, so she was early on that dubstepy stuff because most of it wasn't coming out till Skrillex was a thing in, tw- in 2012, 2013. Um, yeah. I reckon, I just don't know if Femme Fatale will come back and have the same impact and, and you'll see every artist saying Femme Fatale was a really, you know, um, uh, what's, I've lost the word, influential album to me, a, for, a formative album to me, the way that Blackout and even Circus were. But I agree, those three songs you mentioned are all 10 out of 10s. Yeah. Look, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to have the sonic impact of the other two records, but if you're allowed to defend Coldplay's legacy, <laughs> I'm going to defend Femme Fatale's legacy. <laughs> and just quickly, I think you'll, just quickly, I think you'll agree that after Femme Fatale, it didn't go great. Britney Jean was awful. Oh. And then Glory was pretty average as well. So, yeah. And now I don't think... I think she's not concerned with making music anymore. So yeah, that's that. <laughs> but she's, we'll, and we'll talk about this after the next game, but you know, she's on fire on, she's still as, not as culturally relevant, but she's still quite culturally relevant with her new found appreciation for creating Instagram content. I think everybody who grew up in the same era as you and I will always have a place in their heart for Britney. Always, and always want the best for her because we've seen the worst and we always want her to be well and happy and content with her life. So I'm with you, absolutely. Should we do another game? Give me a game. I'm ready for it. Okay. You ready for this? I think it's, I dare say it's even better than Britney Spears or Tears. Um, This (laughs) is Blackout or an actual Blackout. 
The way it works is I've got numbers and dates and statistics and you have to work out whether they relate to (laughs) something to do with the album blackout or something to do with a major blackout in world history, a major power outage in world history. Wow. You know what? I actually considered doing blackout versus reviews of blackout, actual blackouts, but it turns out no one actually reviews blackouts online. So this is much better. (laughs) Just angry people on Twitter tweeting like the power company to turn the fucking (laughs) lights on. That's that's the reviews. And they'd be easy to guess. If any investors out there would like to invest in my blackout review app, (laughs) email me. All right, so there's four stats I'm going to give you and I'll give you a scenario that they could relate to and you've got to work it out. You ready for it? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, the number is 73,000. Is this the amount of copies that Blackout sold in its first day in the US or is it the amount of customers that went without power in the Manhattan Blackout of July 2019? Uh, Sorry, was this first week... Of release or first day? First day of US sales, copies sold of Blackout, or customers that went without power during the July 2019 Manhattan Blackout. I reckon it would have sold like 200 to 300k in the first week. So I reckon 70 is around about right. I'm going to say Britney. You reckon 73,000 copies sold of Blackout first day? Yeah. It was 73,000 customers without power in the Manhattan Blackout of July 2019. Do you know you what the New first York. day sales are? Because it, oh, yeah, because every person who moves to New York is given a fact <laughs> sheet on past blackouts. <laughs> it was, um, was 120,000 first day sales of blackout. Okay. I like that you've done that research. I know. It was because I knew you'd ask. I knew it would be important <laughs> to you. You know okay. I'm like that. Next stat is a series of a, a, a date range I'm going to give you. So January 16... Till March 24. Were these the start and end dates for the recording of Blackout? Or was it the length that Victoria, the the state in Australia, was without power after bushfires? January 16 to March 24. Recording dates for Blackout? Wait, when? Victoria without power. What year for Victoria without power? My apologies. 2007 is the year for those dates. Wow, that's a long time. But also, how on earth would she have been recording that album in three months while she was dealing with her dead aunt and rehab trip? (laughs) My aunt is dead. Um, (laughs) But but maybe, as we talked about, this was her escape. So maybe she was finding time whilst going through those situations. And remember, she was only in rehab for less than a day. I love how you're counseling me through this and you know the answer. Yeah, I'm I don't trust you. I don't trust anyone. Jan um, 16 to March 24, recording dates or Victoria with no power? I'm going to go, re- go recording dates. I guess it's, it makes sense in the timeline of the album. It does, but you're wrong. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you did that. <laughs> Parts of Victoria without power from January 16 to March 24. So that's zero out of... Uh, four for you so far, unfortunately. Um, all right, the next statistic is 43. The number 43. Was this break the ice's peak on the US Hot 100 or was it the amount of days the Colombian capital of Bogota was without power in early 2007? It's, it's got to be the, the chart position for break the ice. 
You are correct. Congratulations. Yes. That's one from three in blackout or an actual blackout. And final <laughs> statistic, and love to know via tweets or via Apple Podcast review what you got at home. Um, 3.1 million is the final statistic. Was this the amount of copies that Blackout had sold by the end of 2008, or was it the amount of people affected by a cyber attack that caused a power outage on the weekend of September 26 and 27, 2007, in the Brazilian state of Espirito Santo? 3.1 million. Copies sold or people affected by cyber attack? Well, you know, my Brazilian cyber attack history is usually... Very comprehensive, but <laughs> you seem to have was, hit a raw spot here. This um, was copies sold by the end of 2008. So this is 15 months worth of sales for Blackout. Or is it people affected by a cyber attack causing a power outage in the Brazilian state of Espirito Santo? I don't want, know why I'm really thinking about this so much because at the end of the day, <laughs> I really have no idea. Um, so I'm going to go with copies sold. All right, locking copies sold. It was 3.1 million copies sold by the end of 2008 of Black Hat. Congratulations. Hey. For uh, additional context, 3 million people were affected by a cyber attack causing a power outage on the weekend of September 26 and 27 in the Brazilian state of Espirito Santo. Wait, so there was literally like 100,000 in it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for playing uh, Blackout or an actual Blackout, Sam. It was, a, a, it was great. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> Run sheet now says game over. So it's back to you. I really enjoyed that, to be I'm honest. Glad. Yeah, <laughs> I learned something, made me think. Good. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna run. I love our. I love that we can't come up with a game that's not got the word or in it. Like. Yeah, we're very creative, <laughs> and also I can't yeah. seem to stray away from um like name puns or. Or things that are connected to I the I like name. it. Creates the fun of it all. Exactly. All right. I have, I've actually got a personal question for you. Oh, this is hard. About your medical history. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> as someone who appreciates and examines pop music, how important is Britney to you? As I said at the top of the podcast, 2007 was really the first year that I started living and loving pop music. I was 12 turning 13 in 2007. Um, I, I had won a MP3 player from um, the TV show It's Academic because we got to the semifinals. And so this was my first opportunity to download some music on LimeWire on our dial-up connection. So it took about half an hour per song um, and load them onto my MP3 player and learn to love music. And I'd go straight to the charts. I didn't listen to Triple J. I didn't listen to you know, any of the indie stuff. I just went straight to the charts and I download the charts from top to bottom. So obviously yeah. Britney was popping up a lot. Therefore, she's a really genuinely a formative artist for me. Um, it was Britney. It was Mika. It was the, the poppiest side of what was happening in 06, 07, 08 that really introduced me to pop music. And therefore, yeah. I've always, as, as we said a minute ago, had a soft spot for her and always loved the music she was doing. I think at the time as well, I wasn't as affected by, because I was quite young and I wasn't, you know, watching gossip TV or reading gossip online, I wasn't as affected as what, with what was going on in her personal life as I was the music. Um, so I think I, yeah. I, I was lucky to have a sort of pure appreciation for the music when she was at her peak. 
Yeah, um, I was going to ask that. Like, when Blackout came out for you as a kid, did you actually like Gimme More? Yeah, I loved it. I didn't know why. It turns out because I'm a homosexual that that was <laughs> why I was predisposed to it. But <laughs> Britney told you. She knew. Exactly. Like, all my, like, everyone I knew was, like, listening to, like, Nickelback and... Um, <laughs> It was another cool band at the time. Shine well, you know down. what? I think I had Nickelback and Britney, so. <laughs> but what about for you? Because you're a couple of years older than me. We won't give away your actual age. I know that's a real uh, so, uh, let's, let's say a few. point for you. <laughs> but wh- how important is Britney to you? Because you would have, yeah, you would have been, you know, sort of late high school when these records were coming out. How important so, is she to you? Baby One More Time was maybe around when I was first starting to listen to music. Obviously not buying music because my parents didn't send me out to get a job when I was four years old, thankfully. (laughs) But, (laughs) but yeah, I've kind of followed, she was kind of the first pop star that I knew of when I grew up and I kind of followed her that whole way. And I think that's why there's kind of some attachment within me to her, regardless of whether I liked all the music or not. And I think as I've grown up, I've kind of dipped in and out of my interest for Britney's career, but I knew at Blackout, it was a time when I was starting to get into like pop um, internet forums and stuff like that. And obviously like as much, as much as she is still now, she's like one of the hot topics of all kind of pop forums or pop Reddit threads and stuff like that. So it was my first chance to appreciate pop music in a way that wasn't purely what I read in the magazines and what I read on the charts and stuff like that. It was real diehard pop fans who were picking apart the production and And in that way, I think I was excited about Blackout and at the same time, totally confused about what was going on in her life and kind of completely unsympathetic to it as well. So it was a very strange juxtaposition. That is a really bizarre kind of, yeah, two two things to be going on at once and ways to be thinking about it. But I think regardless of, of our, how we sort of, began to discover Britney, the impact and the legacy in our pop-loving lives in 2020 is so present. It's yeah. still so prevalent. Um, and just the archetype that she set up for being a pop star and the way that we want pop stars to be in 2020 and the sophistication we want them to have and the messiness we want them to have, um, whilst also wanting them to be okay um, yeah. and mentally well, is, is, really, is still really present. And you know what? I do miss the way that... Britney approaches pop music. I miss it being such a tight kind of era where it was all built around the whole visual and the tour and all the music videos and it was a tight package. I feel like now it can be a little ad hoc at times, which is exciting when you get things like Thank You Next from Ariana that are just so off the cuff. But at the same time, you do miss that kind of like thing where there was a veil where you only got to see so much of the pop star and part of it was a character. And I think it's why I'm enjoying this... um, Dua Lipa rollout at the moment, even though she is very yeah. connected with her friends, it feels like she's thought of the title of the album, she's thought of all the visuals, she knew exactly what the singles were going to be, and I'm sure she knows what the tour is going to look like as well. And I feel like we're, and, and The Weeknd's new album as well, actually, we're kind of returning to that approach to pop, which is exciting, and Britney is definitely the way, the person that everybody models that around. Conceptual pop music, I think, is always been Britney's forte she create the concept happens and the songs and the the tour and the the look and the music videos and the 
the fashion are all built around the concept. And I love yeah. pop when it does that. And you're exactly right about Dua. Everything in this era so far has been to a T what those Lawless. words feature nostalgia mean. Exactly. I love it. And I think maybe um, because Dua, I think, has obviously taken inspiration from people like Madonna and Britney that maybe Dua should offer Britney some advice on how to run her Instagram <laughs> account. <laughs> because be- between her and Beyonce, they need some help. <laughs> Can we talk about the Instagram for a second? I, <laughs> it's I just endearing. love it. It's so endearing. And she's, she's acting her age, which I really love. She's becoming yeah. a... She's becoming an early 40s mum, slightly ahead of her time, but there's just, it's bonkers and full of ridiculous filters and the same post three times and like, you know what I love? Really poorly filtered memes. It's brilliant. I saw the other day that her son went on Instagram Live and um, announced to everybody that his mum was probably done making music, but she told him the other day that she doesn't really want to do it anymore. Which is just <laughs> an incredible happen? way for one of the most successful pop stars of all time to announce her departure from music. I'm pretty sure he was on like one of those like hoverboard, I can't even remember what they call them, Segway type things. The Segway thing? Oh my God, that's so good. I love Amazing. it. Amazing. And it's and it's funny because as much as we've talked this whole episode about how every era of hers has been polished, her Instagram could not be any less polished if she tried. It's, Karen, it's... who lives down the road, has a more polished Instagram than Britney does. My mum just became the admin of a coronavirus um, information group in my local area. I um, love that. It's, it's 10 doctors and her. She's just like, I'm not a doctor, but I want to help. And yeah, I think mum's got that group more organised than Britney's, um, than Britney's Instagram at the moment. While we while I remember Get it, Mrs. can we talk Kelly about on the case? <laughs> oh god, can we talk about one particular track on Blackout that mm-hmm. no one mentions enough? Heaven on Earth. Yeah. Do you remember this track? It was. Yeah. It sounded like Madonna. It sounded like Madonna's like most iconic moments. It sounded like Better the Devil You Know by Kylie Minogue. Yeah, like, very eighties. And you know what's interesting? One of the few songs that had a different collection of songwriters, I think it was Cara Diagardi who wrote on it. Um, And yeah, kind of like the anomaly of the album, I thought. Yeah, it was amazing. It it was, and and I went back on that when I was having my last minute cram session at 8.30 this morning. Um, And I went, fuck, that's right. This song. I remember this now. I feel like maybe they got to the end of the process and her label was like, please to God, put something on it that doesn't sound like it was created in a strip club. (laughs) It's a good point. (laughs) All right. I have one more game for you if you're interested slash ready. Let's do it. Okay. So this is a game that I like to call when I play it with my friends at home. Um, Review of Britney... So, a comment of Britney Spears on YouTube. (laughs) Or a review of a fishing spear. (laughs) Well, I get it because of spears. Why else did you think I would do it? Just because we've been sponsored by a fishing brand? (laughs) Yeah, BCF have come on board for all your fishing needs while you're not allowed to go outside and fish. So let me tell you, this was not as easy as I thought it was going to be. 
<laughs> okay, so they're comments from fans on Britney Spears' YouTube videos. Is that what we're talking? Or is it comments yep. Britney's made on other videos? No, no, this is comments that Britney's fans have made on her videos. Um, okay. And it's against reviews that people have made about fishing spears on Amazon. <laughs> Ridiculous. Let's do it. Hit me. I actually found you on there on one of the reviews. <laughs> Are you serious? No. Have you ever I bought a fishing maybe spear? Comment- oh, I thought you meant on the um <laughs> on the um Britney videos. I was like, oh, don't worry, get on with it. I said this <laughs> this podcast was going to be polished, and I'm never going to say that again because it's been an absolute shambles. Which is good. Which is very blackout era, Britney. So we exactly. we teamed with the theme. Um, it's a dedication. Okay. It's a bird. It's a plane. No. Dot. 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 It's a bird. It's a plane. No. Dot. 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 Your, your ideal fishing spear would be quite beak-like, wouldn't it? Because um, birds are quite good at getting fish out of the water with their beaks. <laughs> so if it's being related to a bird, and it's I'm going to go with it. This is a fishing spear review. Aren't you underwater when you when you fishing spear? When you spear it, fish? Well, you've got to throw no, it. I'm being told no. No, <laughs> you're not. So you're right. Thank you um, to, produ- to our producer. That, that was actually a comment left on Britney's Piece of Me video. And I found oh no God. reason to why it was left there. <laughs> Okay, so I'm zero from one. That's good. Maybe the I need to Google one. what fishing spears actually look like. Fishing spears. <laughs> okay, I know what a fishing spear is now. <laughs> we can move on. <laughs> okay, I can't count how many police cars I've evaded. <laughs> um, police cars evaded, would you? Uh, there were police cars... Brittany would have had police cars in one of her videos at some point. Um, I'm not good at remembering videos, though. I'm going to go... I'm going to go Brittany video. You're right. It was left on Brittany's Piece of Me video on YouTube. Um, And it was somebody who was basically saying that when they run away from cop cars, they blast Brittany's Piece of Me, which sounds like it's a regular occurrence, which is slightly worrying. Brilliant. Okay. Um, <laughs> next one is this is an absolute blast. You would want the spear to blast through the water, wouldn't you? And, and hit the fish. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if that's the way blast is being used. Her videos the are a blast as well. I'm going to go fishing spear. It is. It was a comment for a fishing spear. Yay. <laughs> All right, next one. Sexy AF. Britney video. That was left on a comment for a fishing spear. Oh, God, that's worrying. <laughs> Were they happy with just like the sleek, the sleek design of the spear? All right, the next one. The final one. Future we anticipated. Flying cars and droids. Future we got. Trump and coronavirus. Britney video. Has to be. It was. It was for a Britney yes. video. 
And um, I've got one more bonus one for you. Okay. There is a lot of slop in the front guide. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of slop in the front guide. Well, it's got to be a spear because the the (laughs) sort of... What would the front guide be? The sort of bit where it thins out and becomes a spear. I have no idea. I've thought way too much about spears today. (laughs) And I have seven tabs open. My current one is SEAC New Sting Sling Spear Gun. (laughs) Well, I'm going to go with that gun. I'm going to go with that spear gun. It actually was this gun. And it was was on a review that was titled Unsafe Gun. Do not buy. Dangerous gun. Trigger safe failed. (laughs) Well... I wouldn't buy any trigger gun if you don't need it at the moment. Um, <laughs> I think you shouldn't be going s- out to buy. The, given gun. our sponsor is a fishing spear, we do oh, need yeah. to say buy the spear. Only from BCF Online. <laughs> Make sure it's only from BCF Online. I need to do a count up of how many sponsors this podcast allegedly had so far. It's a fair few. <laughs> it's like two, two an episode at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear! Our bank accounts would look much better if we weren't joking. <laughs> um, we, should, is that it? I think we've wrapped that album up pretty well. I think we've done a good job. Yeah. I think, given that every game was a complete mess, and we spent about twenty minutes at the start trying to sort out technical problems, That's our right. prose was actually quite eloquent when it came to talking about the record. <laughs> How pros. Um, leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you enjoyed the episode. Um, tweet us how many out of four you got in any of the games. Um, any other options for interactivity with the podcast that you can think of, Sam? I feel like feel free to go back and listen to the first one if you're jumping on now. I'll warn you, the sound's pretty shit on the first two episodes, but it does get yeah. better. Um, Whenever anyone hits me up now and says they're listening, they're listening to the Charlie episode, I'm like, fuck... Yeah, exactly. Sam was but it talking got into the and back actually, of his microphone. Your ears actually get used to the bad sound. And when you come out of that kind of black hole of episode two and you come into three, it's kind of <laughs> like this moment, of, this moment of clarity oh. and it's quite beautiful. It's absolute magic. Um, all right. <laughs> subscribe. Catch you next week for another Pop Flop Stars episode. And I'll see you all on House Party. 